Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. Support for Mississippi Edition comes from Mississippi State University Center for Distance Education, providing online programs and certification at the graduate and undergraduate levels. Distance at State, even there you're here. More information at distance.msstate.edu. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Thursday, August 3rd. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, what's at stake in today and tomorrow's union vote at Nissan? The overall good of the state. A relationship with one boss with Nissan. Thompson doesn't offer a pension anymore. Way over Mississippi's annual household income. Over 550 workers have been injured this year so far at Nissan. Probably the hardest region of the country to organize. Democratic Congressman Benny Thompson speaks on the Nissan vote and the state flag. A new measure hopes to provide more jobs for Mississippi contractors in Mississippi. And in our book club, the story of a Memphis musician who died eight years ago, but his voice carries on. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Tensions are high as the vote to unionize the Nissan plant in Canton is underway. Some 4,000 of the plant's 6,400 workers have two days to cast their ballots for or against joining the United Auto Workers Union. MPB's Desiree Frazier has our featured story. Community activists and Nissan workers rallied over the weekend in Canton, urging employees to vote yes to joining the United Auto Workers Union. These workers say they want better pay and health benefits, along with a pension. Also, workers want a way to transfer temporary employees to full-time. McRae Johnson is voting yes. He's worked at the plant for nearly six years and says he still paid temp wages. How does that make you feel? Uh, not good when you got to stand, sit on uh, one side of a truck and work and do the same job as the person that's full Nissan and get $10 more than you. Kanoi Brown has been with Nissan 14 years. He opposes bringing in a union. The line leader makes $26 per hour. He likes his pay and benefits. I can't think of a job in Mississippi uh, that is paying the wages that Nissan is paying, you know, for this area. Uh, matter of fact, way over, way over uh, Mississippi's, you know, annual uh, household income. The state's average household income is just over $39,000 annually. Marvin Cook, a technician at the plant, doesn't trust the UAW. In fact, a scandal has erupted in Detroit involving the union and officials with Fiat Chrysler accused of embezzling money. 
Cook says wages at Nissan are competitive, and many companies don't offer pensions anymore. He says they have a 401k, plus an additional payment is added to their account once a year. To me, I think if a union doesn't get in, I have more job security with the union out of the company versus being in their company. That's what I believe. For Morris Mock, who's been with Nissan 14 years, safer conditions at the plant is a big concern. He says the air conditioning is cut off in certain zones to save money. Mock also wants to see machines ergonomically safe for any size worker to use. We have a lot of uh, workers falling out in different areas because of uh, heat uh, exhaustion. Uh, We've actually had um, just a lot of the the way workers are being uh, treated. Governor Phil Bryant has come out against unionizing the plant. You have to go no further than Detroit. Once the world's automotive center... Now, almost it is a part of the Rust Belt. Nathan Schrader is a political science professor at Millsaps College. He says many in the South don't have experience with unions, and false information is repeated as fact. The reason for Detroit's decline had very little of anything to do with organized labor and lots to do with other factors, from economics to over-reliance on a single industry to cheaper foreign competition throughout the decades. Schrader says historically unionizing plants in the Deep South has been a challenge because of right-to-work laws. The Deep South is notorious for uh, just not being a a, a hospitable place for workers' rights. Uh, There are the right-to-work laws in place in many southern states that attempt to prevent unions from organizing. Union organizer Betty Jones works at Nissan. She's hoping for better things from the company, like collective bargaining. Jones says the plant opened in 2003, and it's taking years to generate enough support to reach this point. We're tired of crawling. We want to sit up at the table like adults and have a conversation, have a relationship. That's all we're asking for, a relationship with, with, with one boss with Nissan. Nissan is running TV ads and messages on social media featuring employees who don't support unionizing the plant. For years, the UAW has targeted our plant to increase dues-paying members. We know that Nissan Canton is not perfect, but we do not believe the UAW is the solution. You can help send that message by voting. Signs have sprouted up at homes and businesses on both sides of the issue. Workers say the company is handing out T-shirts that say, vote no. Now the National Labor Relations Board is charging Nissan with violating workers' rights to organize. A supervisor is accused of threatening employees with losing money or the plant closing if they vote yes. Robert Francis is the human resources director at Nissan. It's a false allegation, um, a a false accusation, part of a number of allegations that have been made against the company. Um, And we certainly will have an opportunity to, you know, defend ourselves as this process goes through. But but those allegations are false. A clear majority of 50 plus one must vote yes in order to join the United Auto Workers Union. Worldwide, 42 of Nissan's plants are unionized, except three, two in Tennessee and one in Mississippi. While some worry the fallout from a yes vote could mean Nissan leaves the state, others say a win here will open the door for other plants in the South to unionize. Desiree Frazier, MPB News. Coming up, more on the Nissan vote as the state's only Democratic leader weighs in. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Informative MPB news stories, the local shows you love, up-to-date severe weather info, and the state and worldwide reach telling the story of Mississippi. You're listening to MPB Think Radio.
This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. With the potential for change on the horizon for Mississippi, state leaders are speaking out. Democratic Congressman Benny Thompson has spoken out in support of union efforts. He tells MPB's Ezra Wall why. First of all, in America, individuals have choices. And the only way the workers at Nissan can have a choice in whether they want to have an election or be represented by a union is to have the election. First of all, I've supported the workers' right to make that decision. The only way you can do it is to have an election. Now that they've gotten enough people to sign cards saying we'd like to have an election, then I think in America, in Canton, Mississippi, like all the other Nissan plants in the world, with the exception of two, there are unions operating within those plants. Those workers should have that choice. I have calls that come to my congressional offices about worker situations at the plant, and I have said in those kind of situations, the only way you can really address them is to have a union. Because as a congressperson, I don't have any say-so over who gets employed, whether uh, employees are mistreated. And so because the workers have decided that they would like to have a union, I support it as a child in Mississippi. Some of the better jobs in my hometown were people who either worked for the railroad or for the post office, and they both were union jobs. So if the standard of living was elevated because people belong to unions, and people aspire to become part of the middle class, and becoming a union member got them to that middle class faster, then I'll support it. What about this notion that's been expressed by some anti-union leaders that the whole reason Nissan came to Mississippi in the first place is because there would be no union, and if you vote to have a union, they're liable to just pick up and leave? Well, you know, that's the old snake oil that you hear from people uh, saying that. These are the same people who are against raising the minimum wage in the state of Mississippi. These are the same people who say that people shouldn't have health care. So now all of a sudden, they're going to say, Nissan, because we've given over a billion dollars in state incentives, they're going to leave. That plant is profitable. All we're saying is, Treat the workers in Canton like you treat the majority of plants that you have around the world. Allow them, should they choose, to form a union. And clearly, I've talked to the workers. They're hard workers. They want to provide for their families, but they want to be treated like Americans. They don't want anything less than what other workers for Nissan receive. And right now, they don't receive that. Again, Governor Phil Bryant, Lieutenant Governor State... uh Lieutenant Governor Tate Reeves and House Speaker Philip Gunn, all Republicans have spoken out against the union at Nissan. Governor Bryant says he doesn't want to see conditions change in Mississippi. Mississippians have been working there for about a dozen years. It has provided a high quality of life. I look at Detroit, I look at California, other areas where the union came into the automobile industry and just destroyed it. I don't want that to happen in Canton, Mississippi at Nissan. Voting at the Canton plant will continue through tomorrow. 
In other news, the Congressional Black Caucus and the Mississippi Legislative Black Caucus are two of the organizations now supporting plaintiff Carlos Moore in his suit to bring down Mississippi state flag. The group uh, filed a supporting document called an amicus brief as Moore is now asking the U.S. Supreme Court to reverse a Fifth Circuit Court ruling that dismissed his lawsuit. Congressman Thompson also spoke with MPB's Ezra Wall on the CBC's move. He says the flag bears a symbol that should be placed in a museum. Well, you know, this flag issue for a lot of people won't go away. That Confederate battle symbol in the Mississippi flag is just a symbol that uh, should not be. It's a relic. A lot of us have said that it should be put in a museum. But to somehow symbolize who we are as a state uh, with that symbol is just not right. And uh, a lot of us have historically supported changing, and at every venue uh, we get, we will continue support trying to change it. So when we were made aware of the present court challenge, the Congressional Black Caucus, many of them who are from the South in general and who understand clearly what the Confederate battle flag means, weighed in and supported unanimously this effort to uh, file this amicus brief before the court. The argument from the other side is that there's this effort to what they characterize as trying to erase history. Do you see that point of view or does that affect your thoughts in any way? It's exactly where we're coming from, but it's a part of history that surely you can't be proud of. Slavery was part of history, but surely you can't be proud of man's inhumanity to man and try to symbolize it. So we're not trying to cover it up, but just like other things down through the years that we have decided to put in a museum, put the flag in a museum. Don't try to create a symbol of somehow things are all right out of something that's negative. That Confederate battle flag was a symbol of Southern resistance and support for slavery. The South lost that war, and so that symbol should be placed, as I said, in a museum. I won't oppose it. Other individuals, as you know, in the state have supported changing the flag, but the will to move forward, obviously, is still not there. Congressman Benny Thompson, I appreciate your time very much today. Thank you for speaking with us. Thank you. Coming up, the Public Service Commission is making moves to get more Mississippians working. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. From the Capitol steps to your front door, MPB News covers the state like no one else. Our team of award-winning journalists keeps you informed on the news affecting your life. MPB News online at mpbonline.org and on MPB Think Radio. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. A new requirement will take effect a month from now that could give more business to Mississippi contractors. The Public Service Commission passed the Higher Mississippi measure and delivered it to the Secretary of State's office for next steps. The rule will require private utility companies to keep a list of Mississippi contractors who want to bid on upcoming projects. The contractors will then be notified when a bidding process is about to open. Brandon Presley is Northern District Public Service Commissioner and Chairman. 
He tells MPB's Ezra Wall what led to his proposal. Well, I propose this because last year, for instance, in 2016, $810 million was spent by the five largest public utilities in Mississippi on operations and maintenance costs alone, not on construction costs, which was over billions of dollars, but just eight hundred. But just the mere operations and maintenance was $810 million. When we looked at how many of those contracts actually went to uh, contractors and companies that are based in Mississippi, it was only 30%. A whopping 70% of that money was spent with out-of-state firms. I'm convinced we have more Mississippi businesses if they had known about the bidding process, if they knew that these business opportunities uh, were out there. I think they would bid, and I think we could move that number from 30% on up, and that's our goal. Uh, I'm sick of driving by projects funded by Mississippians. Uh, and finding tags from Oklahoma and Missouri and Alabama and other states. We need to be trying to put Mississippi businesses to work and make sure that they know about all contracts uh, in our state regarding public utilities. And uh, this this goes in that direction. This is the entire goal. How is it going to work specifically? It is aimed at moving that needle from 30% so that more Mississippi companies are hired. That's the reason we gave it that name. But the rule will work as follows. If you're a company, say you're a construction company, you're interested in being placed on the list to get bid notifications when projects come up that you're qualified to bid on, uh, you'll notify that utility. The utility will put you on the higher Mississippi list. Every time they bid a contract above $200,000, and that number was picked because that's a number in the statute regarding what has to be bid. Anytime that, uh, that there's a project above that amount, you'll be uh, notified in writing or by email of the availability of this contract, how you can bid, what the specifications are, and who you should contact. Uh, secondly, you'll stay on that bidding list uh, and receive updates on every one of these projects or no bid notices on every one of these projects uh, when the utility comes to commission to seek uh, rate to seek rates to pay for these projects, we're going to ask two questions. Number one, did you hire a Mississippi company to do this work? Yes or no? And if not, why not? Is it because we don't have the workforce to handle it? Uh, was the Mississippi company, uh, was their bid higher than someone else's? But we're going to be asking for an explanation of why a contract went to an out-of-state company, just so we can gather information and understand uh, reasoning on that. Uh, so, uh, And also, if a contractor is not picked, they can request general information from the utility as to why uh, they were not picked and someone else was. The effort on that is an out-of-state company was, excuse me. Uh, and, that, and the reason for that is we want to see if there are gaps within our workforce. If uh, we have projects in which no Mississippi companies bid because maybe we don't have a company in the state doing that, that's something we want to know and be able to uh, make sure we're making aware to our economic development folks and our workforce development folks in Mississippi. Yesterday we took some bold action to have a structured process that gives every Mississippi business that's qualified to do this work at the very minimum the right to know about the projects, the right to bid on the projects if they're qualified, and a chance at this business. Brandon Presley is a public service commissioner in the Northern District and chairs the commission. Uh, Commissioner Presley, thank you very much for taking time to explain this to us today. Thank you. Glad to join. Coming up, this Memphis musician and producer died eight years ago, but that has not kept his voice silent. Jim Dickinson's I'm Just Dead, I'm Not Gone. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. An evening of jazz can be just what the doctor ordered. Join me, Meredith Michelle, with WJSU's Evening Jazz, 7 to 10 weeknights on MPB Music Radio.
This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Jim Dickinson led an extraordinary life as a musician and music producer, playing with or representing the likes of Aretha Franklin, Bob Dylan, and the Rolling Stones. Dickinson died in 2009, but a new book of his own writing chronicles his life and career. Jim's son, Luther Dickinson, is the lead vocalist and guitarist for the Mississippi All-Stars. He tells us about his father's career and legacy detailed in I'm Just Dead, I'm Not Gone. Well, my first memory that I've been able to recollect was at age two, I was sitting on top of his white vinyl baby grand piano, and he was listening to a vinyl record and walking around snapping his fingers. And that snap, those snaps are what shook me into, um, you know, consciousness where you cross that barrier like, oh, I remember that. That was a thing. We grew up watching Dad and his friends get together, and his friends all had kids the same age. You know, we just grew up watching him play music, and it was a social event. Dad would play at home, but we would go to festivals or go to parties, and, and they would play music together. He played with some giants, you know, like Johnny Cash and, and Bob Dylan, of all people. And he represented the Rolling Stones. He played with the Stones, too. Yeah. And, and Aretha Franklin, he represented her. What was more gratifying for him? What did he find most gratifying in his rather storied career? Playing with Bob Dylan, that was a time out of mind session in the late 90s. And that was a, it was a dream come true for him. You know, it was a great ambition of his that he fulfilled. And as he would say, a lot of things in life are disappointing, but Bob Dylan is not one of them. And they're, they're the same generation. It's a generation I find fascinating. It's the pre-TV generation, even the pre-hippies. They were the beatniks. They were the heads, you know, the bohemians. You know, they grew up without TV listening to the radio. In everything written about Jim Dickinson, there's always an instrumental part of the Memphis music scene. Right. Memphis music scene, Memphis music scene. Was he one of the creators of the Memphis music scene? Was he around in the beginning of that scene? Well, the way I see it was he was a keeper of the Memphis music scene. He had a historical vision of the Memphis music scene that kind of glued the city together just by his willpower and gumption alone. And it was funny, when he passed away, I felt like that part of Memphis was gone. But with his book coming out, it's there. You know, it's like his vision of what Memphis music is and the impact of Memphis music on the world is very heartfelt. I mean, with his heart and soul, that was the most important thing to him. But to answer your question, he grew up in Memphis. He was a teenager in Memphis. He remembered, once again, pre-TV, he remembered pre-rock and roll. You know, there's a little Dixieland, a little boogie-woogie, a little blues, a gospel. But he was a generation a little bit younger than Johnny Cash, a little bit younger than Elvis Presley. He was a little bit younger. But he was the last vocalist on the last Sun single. But the undercurrent of the whole thing is that this was the segregated South. Once the blues masters were plucked out of segregated obscurity, that was the, the real Memphis underground at its, at its height, the core of Dad's message, is that for his community, the music brought the people together and changed their world. Were you aware of his writing prior yeah. to this book? He was writing every day the, by hand, pencil 
pen uh, on notepad. He wrote it by hand. So for us, after he passed away, it was like a big jigsaw puzzle we had to put together because he was just getting as many memories and stories down, you know. And he was slightly dyslexic, but the stories were fragmented, so we'd go and put them in order. And it was organized and then edited a few times. I think it's one of the best titles of a book I've ever seen. Who came up with the title? It was one of his great catchphrases. He used it for friends. He was such a lover of recorded music, how it could transcend time and space and life and death. He he was referring to music when he said it, but it rings even truer with the book. Well, and the great name of the book is I'm Just Dead, I'm Not Gone, written by Jim Dickinson, who is no longer with us, but we've been speaking with his son, Luther Dickinson, who is a fine musician in his own right. He is a multi-Grammy-nominated musician. He's the lead guitarist and vocalist for the North Mississippi All-Stars. So I'm glad music runs in the family. And Luther, thanks so much for joining us. My pleasure. Thank you. Stay tuned to MPB Think Radio for a full slate of Mississippi-based programs all morning long. Coming up at 9, it's Creature Comforts. Then at 10, it's Season Pass. And at 11 o'clock, stay tuned for Southern Remedy. Did you miss part of the show today? Find past episodes of this and other Think Radio programs online at mpbonline.org or by downloading the MPB Public Media app from the Apple or Google Play stores. I'm Karen Brown. Join us again tomorrow morning at 8 30 for the next Mississippi edition only on MPB Think Radio. Support for Mississippi Edition comes from Mississippi State University Center for Distance Education, providing online programs and certification at the graduate and undergraduate levels. Distance at State, even there you're here. More information at distance.msstate.edu.